0: money your taxes your truck and your road to success in the trucking industry
1: this is trucking business and beyond the show that puts the money where it belongs
0: back in your pocket
2: welcome to my world i'm your host kevin rutherford the website is let's truck.com the show is all about the business of trucking is the Power Hour. I've got the guys from Pittsburgh Power with me. Bruce, Ethan, and John are all here today. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, upgrades, modifications, horsepower, torque, emissions. You name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. Hey guys, welcome back. And Happy New Year. Same to you, Kevin. As always, it's a pleasure.
1: Hi, Kevin. Happy New Year.
2: Hey you there. Happy
0: New Year, Kevin. Good all to be here. All right.
2: We've got everybody here. Uh, you know, I, I, Bruce, how long have you been in this industry now? 49 years. 49 years. So I'm going into my thirty. Yeah, 40 Go ahead. Yeah.
3: Uh,
4: 41 doing engines, 49 in trucking.
2: That's a long time. Um, You know, for me, 33 is a long time. (laughs) I I still think I've got a a few more in me anyway. Um, And, you know, looking back, I've always been really focused on the business side of this, especially from an owner-operator's point of view. And, Bruce, you've always been... For the owner operator. You don't deal with fleets. And I mean, the owner operator's always been your market. So I know you're interested in the business side of things. I, I look back, I've been through a lot of boom and bust cycles. You know, rates are great, there's lots of freight. Then we go through a couple of years where it's not so good, we get new regulations. Things are always changing. That's business. I, I'm looking at 2018. From the standpoint of everything I see going on, actually the ELD mandate limiting capacity, which means rates will go up, and they already have. We're seeing people talk about $4 a mile freight all over the place right now. The economy's booming, you know, by almost every measure, whether that will continue. I don't know. Most analysts think that it will. We just got a very friendly new business tax code. It was horrible for company drivers. It was awesome for owner-operators and small businesses. Um, I, there, there is so much positive right now in the industry for owner-operators. I look back and I thought 2018 could possibly be the best year I've seen in 32 that I've been in the industry. And yet I one of the articles I read this morning says owner-operators are pessimistic about 2018.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing what the, the regular news media is saying.
2: You know, the the only thing I, I can gather from that is that most owner-operators are still upset and frustrated about the ELD. Because I, I can't see any other reason to be pessimistic about this industry right now. Everything looks fantastic for this year.
4: So let, let me ask you a question. Is the ELD the problem or the 14-hour rule not allowing you to take a break, not allowing you to take a nap or split your birth time? Well, you know... That, to me, is the problem. If you're yeah. sitting at a grocery warehouse for eight hours, you should not be on the clock.
2: So, so let's, there's two ways to look at this. If we look at it just by the law itself just just the legalities of hours of service, then yes, it's the hours of service that are the real problem because ELDs changed nothing except the way we record them. That, that's the only real difference if we're looking at the law. What, but what people are really looking at is on paper logs, we all cheated because it was easy. and And now it's not so easy. So but the problem is we all cheated ourselves for all those years. By, and, and people will say, well, I had to because everybody else did. And by cheating our logbooks because it was so easy, we allowed the, the shippers and the receivers to hold us at those docks, and we still delivered their freight on time. If they expected that you know their freight was going to get there tomorrow, and we pull in and they hold us up for eight hours... We still got it there for them tomorrow. We cheated to do it. So we were really just cheating ourselves, and we allowed the rest of the industry to take advantage of that. And because of that, there was no pressure to ever change or improve the hours of service. Now you can't cheat that easy anymore. So now freight isn't going to get there on time. The shippers and the receivers will have to adjust, and maybe we'll actually get some good changes in the hours of service. That's why I say I think the ELD mandate is a great thing. Short-term, it's already raising rates, and long-term, maybe it'll be the thing that finally gets us better hours of service.
4: What I've witnessed, and I was eight or nine years in traffic and transportation, Back in the 70s, shippers and receivers do not value the owner-operator or the truck driver's time.
3: No, not at all. They care less. Right.
4: And I was traffic manager for Dravo like metals plant, and and I would see that. They would want me to order the truck for 11-foot high air conditioners and furnaces that were never even through the flame test yet. And so... I didn't order the truck. I went down to flame test and I said, When are you going to flame test this unit? Oh, we're not going to see that till tomorrow. Why am I ordering the truck today? So but that's just one example. But when you're sitting if you're sitting there waiting, like I watched Westinghouse Electric, seven AM pickup time. They didn't finish loading the trailer till five PM. That's ten hours. Yeah. That should not be part of your fourteen hours. You should be Off the clock, because most of the time you're going to be in your bunk, because what else are you going to do? I think it's the 14-hour rule, and we need to be able to clock off. I mean, if you start your truck up at home and you drive an hour to make a pickup and they're going to hold you there for 10 hours, you should only have one of your 14 hours being used.
2: You know, as much as we argue and fight in this industry and we can't agree on much of anything, that is the single thing... That I think has the most agreement across the entire industry is we have to fix at least that one rule. We could probably do way better than that if we really sat down and focused on making hours of service better across the board, but that one rule would help a lot. You know, I think it's kind of the perfect storm. The economy's booming. Drivers got out of the industry because of the ELD mandate. And, Bruce, my guess is if you went through your customer list and if you had it broken down by age, I would bet that the, the biggest age group would be 50 to 65 because that's the biggest age group in the industry right now. And it's the whole baby boom thing. You know, it's pretty standard. But that also means we're, we're about to see a huge wave of retirement in this industry so you combine all those things with the ELD, capacity is going to get really tight, rates are going to go up, and there's going to be pressure on, on the shippers and receivers to finally change that. They're going to have to value the driver's time or their freight isn't going to get anywhere.
4: I agree, but boy, it hasn't changed in my 49 years.
2: Oh, no, my, my 32 either. That's why I think this is kind of exciting. I think this may be the thing that finally changes it. All of it, these factors coming together.
4: Kevin, what I say is, you, as we get older, you never know how your body is going to feel the next day. And, it, and A lot has to do with what you ate the day before and how you slept that night. And if you didn't sleep good or you didn't eat extremely well, the next day can be challenging. And sometimes you might leave the house and drive for two hours and you're starting to nod. You might go for four hours. But I remember whenever I was traveling in my T600, pulling the RV, working shows, after I worked all day at the shop, I would sometimes get to Youngstown, Ohio, an hour away, Yeah. find myself in the bunk for three or four hours.
2: Right. And then
4: sometimes that didn't happen, but sometimes I needed that two hours, and very seldom was it a 20-minute nap, but it was usually like two hours, or I would stop. My rule was I never crossed a major city in rush hour traffic because of the ignorance of the four-wheelers. So I always went to the last rest area or truck stop or shopping center, wherever I could park, and I would go to sleep till 7 o'clock at night whether it was from 4 to 7 or 5 to 7. And then I was great up until 11, 12 o'clock that night. Right. And then I'd sleep another 4 or 5 hours, and then I was good. But my body works best in a two-part sleep. Thomas Edison was the same way. He said, you work when you're awake, and you sleep when you're tired.
2: Yeah, and and that's that's why the hours of service are so tough to write, because we're... We're all different individually. Every situation's different. Technology might be the future of hours of service. But uh, we'll get on to other truck stuff right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Kevin Buffett. So this is the Power Hour. have got Bruce and Ethan and John from Pittsburgh Power with me. And we're going to get to your calls in just a minute. Um, John, I, I saw uh, an article this morning I was reading, um, and you've talked about this. Navistar came out and said, made the claim, we're going to sell a lot more electric trucks than Tesla will. And you've, you've made the point that Tesla isn't a vehicle company. Their goal isn't to outsell everybody by vehicles. They're a technology company, and they kind of lead the way on the technology. So I don't think it's any big surprise that a company like Navistar will sell more trucks than Tesla. Oh, let me bring you in. Hold on, I thought I hit the button. And the uh, oh. S- start over there, John. Be back. Okay. Yep.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just a, that's what we were thinking. I mean, they're they're a tech company, and you know their investors and their their people will they'll be satisfied with. Uh, whatever licensing agreements they get and with the whatever patents they've uh, you know they've garnered over the years of, of building the electric vehicles and you know so it'll it'll be profitable in a whole other way but to look think of them as one of the you know as a big auto or truck producer was you know foolish to think of anyway I know they get a lot of flack online about that but I don't think that was ever their gig
2: no and you know to have Navistar come out and make that claim kind of just points that out but I don't think Tesla's ever claimed they were going to sell. You know, hundreds of thousands of these trucks. They've got quite a few orders in already, though. Um, so, it, but it also tells us that yep. the big OEMs are on board on the electrification of trucks. I mean, I, I, I think that is a clear trend.
1: Uh, yeah, we we've got some inside info on that. That's that there is other stuff out there running right now too. So that's uh, that, that's for sure. You they, they can't ignore it. It's going to happen. So, but Tesla—they've they, uh, more more orders. What do you see last week? Was it they've got UPS, FedEx, Pepsi, and Walmart now, right? Or there were, was there even another one that dropped last yeah, I week? I think there was another at least 150 one, um, orders, or so, with them.
2: Uh, Myers grocery store, I think, also ordered some. Uh, I don't remember. Myers, okay. Yeah, I know they're big around the
1: Midwest and the big Chicago. Canadian grocery chain of some sort too. Yeah, yeah,
2: yep. and, and, and you know so, all of those. And the make landscape sense. will change.
3: Yeah, it's yeah, pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it is. I, I happen to see, yep. you know, I haven't really been watching the electric car side of it all that much. You know, I kind of follow Tesla somewhat. and um, I, I just saw a commercial this morning. I didn't even realize Kia had a fully electric car. They Their little soul, that little car, the commercials, there's gerbils or something driving it all the time. Yep. Um, they have a fully yeah, yeah. electric <laughs> version of that. They have a lease deal right now, $99 a month.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, it'd be worth getting one to just try it out. I,
2: I, I was seriously thinking about That's it. Not that I need another vehicle, but I thought a $99 a month lease just so I could play around with an electric
1: car might be fun. <laughs> that would be. That yeah, definitely would be. That's interesting. Yeah, and where are So The other one, I, I don't you know, know if you saw Porsche's, is it going to be available next year? Oh, no, uh, I Porsche's didn't see that. Porsche's fully electric uh, sedan is going to be available next year. Oh, it's aimed squarely at the Model S. It even kind of looks like a Model S Tesla. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really sleek four-door. Uh, price-wise, they're uh, they, they pricing it exactly the same as a Model S, and performance, they're claiming even, even better performance than the Tesla Model S. So that's, uh, that's happening next year, I believe. Uh, it's going to be a 2020 model you'll be able to order uh, next year. Wow.
2: Well, you know, uh, as soon as you said Porsche, my thought was I wonder what the performance on that thing's going to be like.
1: <laughs> it's going to be a beast I'm yeah sure. yeah crazy
2: you know and the thing is if i had a 99 dollar a month electric car where i live that would be my final cost i mean i i have charging stations everywhere around here that are free so wouldn't cost me right yeah so it, it might be kind of cool
1: so, again, that, that's infrastructure that Tesla put there that I'm sure he's going to be getting paid for somehow by everybody else. So that's, uh, you think about that whole reason the supercharge stations happened. That was all on him.
2: Yeah, exactly. We also have a lot of, um, you know, we're in the green, you know, Portland, Oregon, that kind of thing. So we have a lot of municipalities oh, yeah. that put in charging. I mean, I think I said this before. I'm in a tiny little town of a thousand people. We have a charging station in town. I have another one
1: right across the river. <laughs> <laughs> so That's cool. Yeah, uh, that's a neat place. Yeah.
5: All right. Hey, I've got
1: something here at the shop. We'll okay. move on to uh, some shop stuff. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, we have a demo in here today. Uh, we've got a, a company called Diesel Force who's got a product that uh, you know we, we've had a lot of success with our EGR uh, DPF you know after treatment maintenance. Uh, this takes care of about two thirds of that work. It's a machine. Uh, that it's almost like a dialysis machine, even more so than our engine flush. Uh, you you pull one of the pipes for the EGR off, and it's got these pieces that go in place, and it's got this foam. It's uh, so it's pretty caustic smelling. I'm not sure exactly what's in it, but it's it's, it's it smells pretty uh, pretty tough. Uh, and it goes through the engine, so you you run the engine, and this stuff expands at a rate about a. Uh, Like a water bottle lids worth will make a five-gallon bucket full of foam. So it's not a whole lot of product that it needs to, and expands rapidly. Wow. And the engine sits there and idles with it. So, and it goes both directions. So it it back flushes through the EGR and into the manifold and through the EGR. uh, It's pressurized through the EGR cooler and back into the manifold and then out through the exhaust, and where it also cleans the turbo. And you just let the engine sit there and idle, and then on the intake side, it fill, literally fills up the intake manifold, uh, pushes stuff through the engine from that end, and cleans the whole intake track, the, the intake valves, exhaust valves. Uh, it, it should decarbonize the tops of pistons and ring lands and such, and it's uh, about an hour process. The engine sits there and runs. And it actually, the chemical's strong enough to clean the DPF and the DOC as well. So the process, you pull the truck in, and we put the, the machine on it, and then we back it outside and we do a regen on it when it's done and it's uh we haven't got in there with the borescope yet to see how clean the the uh, doc and the dpf are but uh from the looks of it it looks pretty amazing so it's something we're going to hopefully be offering here in the future but i was just i was completely blown away this morning by the demo wow Uh, really cool guys they're out of ohio they're just right over in austin town ohio and uh the machine is really slick it's uh no moving parts, it's pneumatically operated, it's really, really, really simple and uh, straightforward, but it, uh, it's it's effective. They've also built a computer box that you hook up to it and you take control of the, while it's doing this process, you take control of the EGR valve and the turbo actuator. So it exor- exercises the turbo back and forth while this product is actually pushed through the engine while the engine's running, and the stuff that's also backfed into the manifold is still is not burnt through combustion, so it's actually you know, pretty clean and going back the other way through the... Uh, turbo and cleans the veins of the turbo and everything so uh something that you know we're going to hope to offer in the future Pete's Pete's out there with the guys now i had to had to leave the demo they're doing their second truck for us right now they did a Cummins this morning and they're doing a pack car right now but uh really really slick uh i'm really i'm completely blown away by it. it's one of, the, one of the neatest things i've seen but it'll make our uh, egr maintenance a whole lot easier and i think more effective i mean they're very thorough they go through even the sensors, it cleans out the uh, the Delta P sensor. They, they've got a device that goes on where the back pressure sensor is and cleans out the back pressure sensor lines, everything. I mean, it's really, really thorough. It's a neat product. But, uh, yeah, so that's really fresh on my mind since I was just, just walked away from the, from the demo uh, half an hour ago. Wow, that sounds really
2: exciting and intriguing. I'd love to, as soon as you have more information on that, I'd, I'd love to see it. You know, if you think about it, you know we had this decade of all these emission problems and everything it caused: loss of fuel economy, trucks down, check engine lights, nonstop. But what you guys have proven is, is most of those problems come back to all the soot buildup, and that's why you developed your you know your emissions cleaning schedules and the Dorothy. And if you think about it now, if you had a Dorothy on a truck, it keeps it so much cleaner you come in once in a while for one of these, you know, cleans and, and now it sounds like that's going to be even a, a much more thorough process. That may be the end of a lot of those problems we've been fighting with for a decade.
1: Uh, absolutely. I think you, you see the growth, right? You know, we've got with our cleaning, you know, we we set up the process and now we're finding easier, more efficient ways to do it, which will, you know, end up being some savings passed on to our customers as well. So, It'll become routine. It's like, all right, so we're going to need to see your truck every every quarter of a million anyway, but now we just hook it up to this machine. We run this stuff through, and once we you know become better and better at this, and we w- refine the process, those savings will be passed on. And these things will be, you know, eventually they're going to be as reliable as the as the old ones. It's, yeah. uh You know, yes, with more maintenance. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's not like you're not gonna you're not going to get there for nothing, but right with the correct right. maintenance program, you're not going to have issues. Yeah, and it's. Uh, it's kind of exciting because, you know, we get to be on the forefront of something. We get to keep trying different things and coming up with different things. And, you know, one of my engineers stumbled across this company that does this, uh, just, you know, looking at the Internet for something else. And he came into my office and said, hey, look at this. And I, so I called him. I, you know, I, I Googled it and I called the guys. And it turns out they're right over in Austin town. I'm like, well, you know, you want to come do a demo? And I, I saw uh, this was a couple of weeks ago. And I saw we had two uh, maintenance is on the schedule for today. I said, Could you come in the day after New Year's? And they're like, Sure, we'll be there. So, uh, yeah, it's really neat. neat that, stuff.
2: that is. Austin Town used to be my uh, delivery area. I used to spend all day over in that area. So, cool stuff. Let me get to a break. We're going to come back right after this and get to your calls and questions. Stick around. We'll be right back with Kevin Roth. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Bruce and Ethan and John are with me. We're going to get to your phone calls. Let's start off in North Carolina. Paul, welcome to the program.
6: Happy New Year to everybody. Hey there. Um, so, 34 and a half years I've been trucking, and I'm in the 50-plus age group. So does that mean I'm old part now?
2: Yeah, officially.
6: <laughs> oh, okay. So, I remember I called you on Saturday. I said my truck wasn't using any DPF, uh, DEF fluid. Yes. I've done 3,000 miles and I've only put about $6 worth of DEF in. So. Well, I got four codes now. They all start.
2: Yeah, so start over and tell. They all start
6: with SPN.
2: Tell Ethan and John that story so they they know what's going on.
6: I I was home for about 10 days, mostly before Christmas. I left on 26th of December, and I was using about $7 or $8 worth of DEF fluid a day, and I've done 3,000 miles in the last week, and I've only used about $6 worth of DEF. But I found out that it doesn't freeze even down in the low teens because I put some in a plastic bottle and you just left it sitting outside and it didn't freeze. So four codes that showed
2: up now. Uh, oh, hold on! So what am I looking at, I, I, maybe? I, I, hold on! I I don't know what's going on with my buttons today. I think they may be frozen. I got to bring Ethan and John back in here. Um. Oh. <coughs> well, where is the truck
4: now?
6: I'm in North Carolina. I'm driving today, so
2: uh, I. It's, am, still,
6: it's still running all right, but.
2: I'm having a hard time getting Ethan and John back in here. Um. Bruce, do you have any ideas for him on that? I I was totally stumped as to what, you know, why sitting may have caused this. It may just be one of those cases where it's uh, just a coincidence that something else has changed and it had nothing to do with the fact that it was sitting.
4: Yeah, it'd, uh, it'd be nice. I'd like Ethan to hear what the codes were. All right. If you're coming back up down from near Pittsburgh, you should stop by and see us, and let's take a look at it and see if we see anything.
6: Yeah, too damn cold up there. <laughs> too damn cold <laughs> <Yeah>. everywhere. <laughs> it don't really matter. So, yeah.
2: All right. So I'm trying. Uh-huh. Here we go. Let me try this. All right, Ethan and John, you should be there. Did you catch back? all that?
6: you need
1: to do so, can you hear me? I hear you, Paul.
6: Can you hear me now, just?
1: Yep.
6: Can you hear me, Paul? Yeah, I, got, yeah okay. I can
1: hear you. Yeah, I just sent you a text. You can text me those codes oh, back, okay. and I'll look them up for you. So whenever get you get off work. the phone here, we'll uh, yeah, go ahead and do that. And I'll look them up, and uh, we'll get back to you. Uh, sometimes when it's really cold like this, it's going to ask for less DEF. It, it doesn't even turn it on until it's up to temp. So there could be a number of yep. things. Uh, either it's not heating it up like it's supposed to, and that will set a code, or if it doesn't get up to a certain temperature, it won't inject it. It doesn't work. Uh, you know, if it's below a certain temperature outside, it actually won't even try to inject the, the DEF until uh, it senses that the fluid itself is up to a certain temp. And there's a, uh, there's a heating element inside the tank. So it could be any number of things that may or may not have anything to do with uh, the truck sitting. I, I doubt that it does. Uh, and I don't yeah. know how cold it is. It's pretty cold where you are too, isn't it? So it's uh, you're, you're not well, it, as cold it, as we it, are, right?
6: Before Christmas, we had a couple of days where it was consistent. It didn't really get above freezing and it was going down to the like the low 20s overnight for quite a few, a few nights. And then uh, I, uh, I had two days last week where I... I got into the 40-degree weather, but it's not been a heat wave, but, um, yeah, who knows?
1: So, so, but yeah, just te- text those codes to me. I just shot you a text. And, uh, yeah, okay. get the codes back I to me. I'll have, uh, I'll have Ethan give you a ring or we'll, 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 we'll sit down and talk about it and get back to you. Okay,
6: that works. Thank you very much.
1: And so, you're, so you're not going to sing us a song today?
6: I- <laughs> Now, I haven't I, written anymore. So. Uh, yeah, I'm,
2: I'm, I, I'm cutting him off. I'm not. Uh, I'm not letting him sing any. We're we're going to head off to uh, <laughs> Illinois. Larry, welcome to the program. Hey, Bruce, missed that How one. That was today? pretty awesome. Larry, are you with us? Good. How are you? Go How are ahead. you
3: today? Good. Good.
7: Yeah, I am. I'm looking at purchasing a new 2018 Cascadia and it only comes with two engines a Detroit or a Cummins and I was leaning towards the Detroit I just didn't know if I should go with the 13 to 15 or the 16 liter now Freightliner and Detroit recommend the 15 liter with that uh, I think it's the RT12 auto shift transmission with the Detroit rear end. And I was wondering, I would have to go with that fifteen liter. What can you guys do to that as far as putting on the OPS, the SAS, the Dorothy, a power box, or tuning the ECM?
1: Well, let's see, all of the above. We can. Uh, I'd, I'd go with the fifteen liter myself. I just don't have much experience with the thirteen. Uh, it may be just as good, if not better. Uh, we have little experience with that though, and I know that there are guys out there having. Uh, success with the 15. And that combination with the Detroit rear ends and the Detroit transmission with with the D12 transmission is just just brilliant. Uh, The way that thing's controlled, it's it's a terrific transmission. And I believe that the high torque version of that engine, there's two different horsepower ratings, one slightly lower than the other. And this kind of goes against everything I normally believe in, but the lower horse, higher torque version seems to be the one that's performing the best uh and we could work on that eventually uh we are back in the development stages where we're working on developing our uh our our dd15 power box again we kind of had that on hold for a while but it looks like we're uh going to push forward on that so that'll be available Uh, we're still we were supposed to have a test truck here last week to do tuning on and that ended up not working out so we're we're not uh, not tuning the modern dd15 yet but uh there's a good chance that there will be a power box available for that in the near future. And the Dorothy's a benefit as well. Uh, OPS and, and the fast are no brainers. Those are easy. Those don't affect much. Uh, you know, that won't cause you any check engine lights or any other problems. Uh, the OPS is a no brainer. Get that right on there. Put the Dorothy right on it. That's no problem. And like I said, the power box is coming, but if you spec it out with the Detroit rears, uh, they've Detroit, some some innovative stuff with the rears as well. They, uh, it's basically like a dry slump boiling system. The, uh, the ring gear no longer sits in the puddle of oil. It actually is separated from that, and it sits pumped around rather than. Uh, and it's eliminated windage as well as uh, some, you know, other other drag. It's it's a really clever setup.
7: Yeah, I think it's called the oil management system or something like that. I was looking at yep. that.
1: Yeah, it's got. Yeah, it's got the oil management system, which is, you know, I'm familiar with from racing. We do what we call dry sump systems, I meaning there's no oil in the bottom of it. You no, they'd it's separated it into a separate tank, use a scavenge pump to move it out and then pump it back into the engine. So it's, uh, you know, that that's, that's, that's sound thinking. That's really, really sound thinking that they've got there.
7: Okay, and then I could have the door key put on that right away without voiding the warranty?
1: Well, I can't promise that. Uh, it shouldn't void the warranty. Okay. It's going to depend on the dealership that you go to. Uh, it is modifying the, you know, the system there. So you, if you get the wrong guy, they're going to say no way. Uh, it's easy enough to take on and off. If you did have to go in for something major, you could just pop the other pipe on. It's a matter of, uh, three bolts and one clamp. Basically, uh, you could, you could put the standard pipe on and then never have any idea it was there. So we do have, uh, we had some flow issues with that one that we've got resolved. So that's, uh, that's an easy one. Yeah, we could do that easily.
7: Okay, and then I didn't know if you would recommend the power box or tune in the ECM.
1: Uh, I think the power box is probably going to be available before we can tune the ECM uh, on, on the new, new one. We could do the pre-DEF DD-15s, no problem. But the newer DD-15s, we're uh, we're struggling with that tuning right now. So I'm going to have to lean toward the power box then.
7: Okay, because right now i got no 6 Columbia. And I've had all the emission stuff taken off at the ECM retuned, and I've put on about 600 horse, and this truck is so easy to drive.
2: And I, and I know I've got to kind of miss
7: that horsepower.
2: Got it. We're going to get to a break. The music's playing. We will be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. all right before we head into the final segment let me take a look Um, looks like we've got a couple questions Um, probably not enough to do a second hour right now we have a lot of calls on on hold not a lot of questions so uh, as we go through this last segment if we get enough questions we'll do a second hour so now's your chance Uh, if you want to jump in press one on your phone and uh, i'll keep you updated here we go Kevin Rutherford, this is the Power Hour. We're going to get right back to your questions. We are off to Washington this time. Steve, welcome to the program. Let me try that one more time. Steve, are you with us? I'm here. All right, go
8: ahead. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yep. Thanks for having us. So long story short, I deliver RVs, uh, out of Indiana throughout the lower 48 in Canada and then I haul pickup trucks and cars back to Indiana. I currently have an 08 Freightliner M2 with an 8.3 Cummins Allison Automatic single axle cabin chassis. I'm looking to replace it. I had nothing but problems. It's a first generation, um, east, or, uh, EGR and emissions, and there's been nothing but a pain on you-know-what. So been looking around, can't find really anything used that meets my requirements, so I'm looking to have something built, which opens up a whole can of worms. I'm looking to stay under 33,000-pound gross on the tractor to avoid FETs, and I'm pulling a 53-foot step deck. So, so I'm looking what? to see what let me,
2: is. let me ask you this because I, I i've looked at the i i look pretty hard at the m2 you know as a vehicle to pull an rv what did you pay for that uh
8: use i paid 45
2: okay so here's my thought that the m2 doesn't really save you all that much in operational costs what kind of fuel economy were you getting Yeah. See, I I think you are far better off to look at the Class 8 market because the used prices on Class 8 are way lower than the single axle and the Class 7s. I I ran single axles for 20-some years, and very seldom... The only time I actually bought a single axle was when I was buying a brand new truck and I could spec it the way I wanted it. Every time I bought a used truck, I bought a tandem right. axle and converted it. And I used to have shops that would do the conversion for me for free because I'd give them all the parts. They could have differentials, brakes, tires. They mm-hmm. got it all. I had a shop that would do my conversions sure. free. I would look at the Class 8 market for a good truck that meets your needs and just convert it to a single axle. Hey, Kevin? Yeah. My T six
4: hundred Kenworth would my T six hundred Kenworth would be perfect for that. And there's <laughs> <Yeah>. no
2: ELDs. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's uh... and it gave
4: me seven miles a gallon at seventy miles an hour.
2: Yeah, I was. You, I,
4: what truck was that? It's a T six hundred Kenworth, nineteen eighty nine. That I put a yeah, lot money into it.
8: I can only. I can, I can only go. T- Because the company I haul for won't allow me to buy anything older than 10 years old.
3: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. So
8: I'm going to be into the ELVs anyway.
2: Right. Yeah, you know, allowing up to 10 gives you some room, and I can find, you know, 2014, 2015 trucks at really reasonable prices today that are, you know, we can easily get, in your operation, probably nine miles to the gallon without working that hard at all uh, with as light as you're pulling most of the time. And, you know, the, even the maintenance costs on these trucks just aren't that much. I, I think that, that you know, the M2 and the Class 7 is, and single axles, it's such a specialty market that those things hold their price um, on the used market. So... You're either going to buy new, and then, like you said, you want to stay below 33000 I, I think you're better off just looking at a Class 8 and converting it to a single axle.
8: Even pushing the extra weight of the, the chassis and the, the size of the engine and all that, Yeah, the, obviously the bigger you get.
2: Well, it, those kind of things have almost no effect on fuel economy anymore. The, the weight is really not a factor. Okay. Because, I mean, these trucks were designed to pull 80,000 okay. pounds. They pull 100,000 pounds without any sure. trouble. Right. So a couple thousand pounds right. heavier on the tractor just isn't a big deal when it comes to fuel economy. We have guys running around getting 10, you know, pulling thirty and 40,000 pounds most of the time. So that's why I say in your Operation 9, we could do that with half our brain tied behind our back and the advantage to going to all the bigger components is they last forever in a job like yours
8: sure because you never work in it exactly what type of rear end oh what in, type of rear end would you recommend
2: in your operation I'd go with like a 250 really really high rear end and and you know run it in direct and You'd have all kinds of flexibility on speed, and you'd be able to run and direct, which is going to improve fuel economy. I just think you're, in the long term, you're going to spend a lot less doing that, a whole lot less, um, short and long term, rather than going out and trying to build a truck that's going to cost you 100000 plus. Well, and that's, yeah,
8: that's pretty much what we're into looking right. at right now. right. Kenworth over Peterbilt over Freightliner? I mean, is it really that much of a difference anymore, or are they all about the same?
2: You know, PACCAR still a quality product, so Kenworth or Peterbilt, you know, it's hard to beat their interior quality and, and everything else. The Cascadia got Freightliner a little closer. Um, the only reason I really look at the Cascadia is because I love Um, the DD15 engine in your case I'd look for a DD13 they're a little harder to find Um, so you know a pack with an ISX uh, Cascadia with a DD13 or a DD15 all good choices The, the the advantage on the Cascadia is there's a lot more of them so they're easier to find at really good prices
8: And then I was told that after 13, most of the emissions issues have been resolved.
2: They're getting a lot better. I won't say that they're all resolved, but they've gotten better. And like we were talking about earlier with Pittsburgh Powers Maintenance Program and Dorothy, I mean, we're we're really eliminating most of those problems.
9: Okay.
4: Kevin? Go ahead. Go ahead. We have available to us, these are owner-operator spec T-660s. They have their 2012s. (laughs) We have about 10 of them available to us. We just took their worst one, and we did our emissions tune-up, our ECM tune-up, and put the Dorothy on. It's become the pride of the fleet. It's a 100-truck fleet. It's an ISX. It does have a 10-speed. But the rest of these specs are all owner-operator specs, and they're between 500 and 700,000 miles. And the price is going to be right around 49000 That's after we go through it.
2: That, that's pretty hard to beat.
8: And who is this? Uh,
4: well, the, we, we don't have... have the truck. We would, We don't have it at our facility yet, but we'd have to bring it in and do the emissions tune-up and set the ECM for your specs. And put the Dorothy on it.
3: And
8: these trucks are and very who, clean, very well maintained. And who is it that is speaking? I, I know it's not Kelly. Oh, this is, this
4: is Bruce Pittsburgh Power.
8: Oh, okay. All right. Well, I will follow up with you because that's about. That would be about perfect. It sounds like for what I'm looking for. I, okay. Well, I will. I will get in touch with you. I
2: appreciate your time, gentlemen. Keep up the great work. Welcome. All right, thanks, Uh, Bruce. Uh, Bruce, if you if you could, I'd throw get together a price for him to single that out. We could do that too, because that's really all he needs. I mean, he's running really, really light weights with a fifty-three foot step deck. You can only get a couple campers on there, a couple vehicles, so. Just no real weight at all. But I I still think he's better off with the Class 8. The Class 7s are expensive.
4: Oh, I spent... That's right. uh, You know what made me do a Class 8 to pull an RV, and then I put the second trailer behind it, was I was working an RV show in Lewisburg, West Virginia, and I came across a guy with an old cab over Freightliner with a big Cam 3-400 in it, he paid $8,000 for the truck. He had a big wooden box built on the back where he carried his golf cart. He said, I have unlimited power, unlimited braking, and I get eight miles to the gallon. Yeah. And, well, when you, you would use a diesel pickup truck yeah. pulling a 40-foot fifth wheel, you were hard-pressed to get eight miles to the gallon.
2: And, and, you, and
4: you, you couldn't stop it.
2: Right. And if you use them commercially, you just wear out a pickup truck every couple of years, if that. And, the you know, Class 8 will last forever doing that kind of a job. So there's the music. We've got to wrap I, this up. I have another story. Oh, hold, hold on, Bruce. We will do the uh, the other story in the next hour coming up right after this. Thanks for joining us. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Alright, we do have plenty of questions on hold, so we are going to do a second hour, and we're going to do that right now, so here we go.
0: Your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts
1: the money where it belongs.
0: Back in your pocket.
2: Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. Today is the Power Hour. I've got the guys from Pittsburgh Power helping me out, Bruce and John and Ethan. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, horsepower, torque, emissions, electronics, new technology, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. We're going to get to those questions in just a little bit. Let me bring the guys in from Pittsburgh Power. Bruce, Ethan, John, welcome back, guys. Anybody? You there? Uh Uh-oh. Looks like everybody should be there. Oh, hold on. Things keep changing on me here. Let's try that one more time. Ethan? John? You got us now? Ah, there we go. There we go. Bruce's yeah. line, it, I think it's the Good cold. Good be here, Kevin. Yeah, I think it's the cold snap on the East Coast. I, you know, I usually blame it on the North Koreans, but I'm going to blame it on Mother Nature this time. Bruce, we got gotcha. you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, I'm here. Yeah, he's there. All right. So, Good to be here,
2: Kevin. Yeah. John, you know, you and I need to talk about doing a, a technology show, even if we only do it once a month, because there's all kinds of new technology I want to talk about. And yeah, I enjoy talking about it with you, because I know you follow a lot of it. And I hate taking time away from maintenance questions, but kind of a carryover. Last time we were talking about um, hours of service and, you know, how they're, they just, They really need to be updated. Maybe ELDs will force that. But one of the things, uh, you know, I know a lot of drivers were not happy. We spent a lot of time at the beginning of last year talking about autonomous technology because it's a big thing. There's still plenty of time we're going to be driving trucks for a long time. But I have a feeling the next wave of technology is not going to make drivers all that happy either. There's quite a bit of talk now of technology maybe replacing hours of service. I've always said that the problem with hours of service is it has nothing to do with when we're really safe or not. The only person that knows that is the driver himself. Unfortunately, you can't trust human beings. And too many people will drive when they're too tired to drive. That's why we're forced into hours of service. That's why we're forced into ELDs. But what I'm hearing and reading a lot about now is all of this body wearable technology or camera technology that's able to tell when you're tired or not. And I, I'm sure drivers do not want that kind of intrusion, but that may be what's coming. I mean, I, I, I've got a new vehicle. This is actually my second vehicle that it does have a drowsy alert warning. It's got sensors and cameras and it watches your eyelids and several other factors, and it warns you that you know you're getting drowsy.
1: I think I read the same article you did. I thought it was brilliant, actually. I mean, I, you know that that that's you know sums up Bruce's feel, feeling on it. When you're tired, you go to sleep. So if, if the technology knows,
2: if if there's, you, there's no arguing it, well,
1: and, so it was safer for me to stop now. And yep, yeah. you're right, and, yeah, then... Oh, I have. Go ahead. I have an instrument
4: in the office in my closet that was developed by Carnegie Mellon University out of Pittsburgh, and it velcros to your dash and it looks at your eyes. And after you blink so many times or your eyes are closed for so many sections, seconds, it sends off a warning. And they tested it with fleets and the drivers that were against it. Were the ones that were sleeping the most behind the wheel. Right now, needless right. to say, the industry didn't accept it, but it's a great idea. See, and I, I, uh, you know, most of the time when I'm driving now, uh, Debbie, Debbie watches me cross the center line or touch the sideline, and and she'll watch my eyes, and she says, "Uh oh, it's time for me to drive." Right. <laughs> so I said, "Yeah, you're right."
2: Yeah. <laughs> see, see, I I like it too because I I was the The driver, that you know, there were days where I could drive 15, 16, 17 hours and know that I was safe doing it. There were other days where, after two hours, I was pulled over and in the bunk taking a nap because I knew I wasn't safe. And if there were technology that would monitor that and allow me to drive more when I'm awake and warn me when I am tired, I'd be all for that. Now, I'm not a big fan of like video cameras watching me. And somebody else can see all that video footage. But that, that's not necessary. The camera doesn't have to send images anywhere. But there are sensors and cameras that watch your eyelids and your head movement. We do have all the sensors that can tell us when we're straying out of a lane. That, that's common technology in cars now. And then if we look at some of the body technology, the wearables, and I test a ton of these things... We can tell by heart rate, heart rate variability, all kinds of other factors, whether or not somebody is getting drowsy. And all of the technology to do this is, it's all available on the shelf right now. It's just a matter of somebody putting it together and getting it accepted in the industry. But I think it, a big push in that direction would be better than, you know, hours of service and ELDs.
1: Absolutely, mm, but it solves but the problem. It, I, I think. Oh, good.
4: It it only solves the problem if you change the hours of service. Well, Bruce, because if it's just, telling just get you rid that you're
2: them. tired and you need to, just, just get rid of them. Why have them? Period. Oh, get rid of the hours of just, service. Just get
1: rid of oh. them completely. Why have? Yeah, let them? Let the technology take care of it. Yeah. Right.
2: Yep. Okay.
4: Well, that, that works too. But you can't. You can't tell a man he has to go to sleep. Whenever no, he's in that 14-hour
2: clock. That, that's my point. Don't ever tell him he... Don't ever let a, a rigid set of rules tell him when he has to go to sleep. But get the technology to where it's right and accurate, and I don't think it would be that hard, and let the technology do it. Just eliminate hours of service completely.
4: Kevin, uh, three weeks ago, when we John and I were out at your place, when we were up at the Packard Test Center, John was driving, and we're coming south on five, and we were passing an eighteen wheeler, and the guy was actually had his left arm on something, holding his forehead up while he's driving. (laughs) I said, now there's a guy that's being affected by the fourteen hour rule. He's got to get to where he's going. He knows he would like to be in the bunk right now, but he can't. I mean, I, I was shocked. I'm glad that we weren't in his way very long.
2: Well, well But he was
4: actually holding his head up.
2: But here's the, here's the thing, Bruce, and this is what got us into the problem in the first place. I don't care what that driver's hauling. I don't care what time limits he's under to get it there he does not need to be driving at that moment he should be pulled over and sleeping and and it's guys like that that got us to where we are now and you know i've i've been the first one to say i cheated my logbook many many times but i did it safely and there were other times where you know i pulled over slept my 2 or 3 hours and then cheated my logbook to make up for it so there there are lots of good experienced drivers that for a long time kind of ignored the hours of service and just drove safely. But there were so many that didn't that now we have ELDs. Well, I'm saying l- let's go beyond that technology and let's get to a technology that just eliminates the hours of service and can detect when you can and can't drive.
4: Yeah. Who is it? Somebody has a baseball cap that has monitors in it I just saw. Was it Nissan or Toyota came up with that? And it monitors your brain and lets you know when you're sleeping.
2: Yeah, there, there's so by, much by the way, new wearable yeah, technology, yeah.
4: When I was younger, I always pushed. I slept a little and I worked a lot. I demolished two Corvettes by sleeping. We were racing at Nelson's Ledges in Warren, Ohio. The race car and a trailer were at the motel. We went out for dinner and we were on the Ohio Turnpike. There were five of us in my tow vehicle, 68 Caprice with a 396. Everybody was sleeping. I'm driving. I fell asleep. When I woke up, we're down in the grass and heading right for a bridge abutment. I almost killed all five of us. I'm very familiar with sleeping behind the wheel. So I haven't had that problem in my older years because I stopped. (laughs) Right. When I was younger, it was bad.
2: Yeah. Well, Bruce, I know you spent a lot of time at Nelson Ledges Raceway. Did you ever go to the ledges themselves? No. Ah, very interesting place. We used to skip high school all the time and go out there and hang out. We'll... uh, Uh, We'll be, I've been there. Yeah, we'll be right back. We'll talk about that and we'll get to your calls and questions. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. This is the Power Hour. Got Bruce and John and Ethan with me. So, John, you've been out to the actual ledges at Nelson ledges. Talk. Bruce was talking about, you know, not always being that safe driving younger. We used to skip school and go out there, and it's a kind of a dangerous place if you're not in full control of your senses, which was sometimes the case.
1: Yeah, yeah, it could be. I've been to, uh, I went to a hippie jam band festival there once. It was really cool. So, yeah, but yeah it's, uh, it's it's a neat place. Yeah, kind of. Kevin, I don't believe that you ever skipped school.
4: You didn't. You weren't that
1: type that
2: would skip school, <laughs> were you? <laughs> Bruce, you have no idea. Um, I, I almost, I, I skipped every <laughs> chance I possibly could. And I think the only reason I got out of high school is I think they just got They just wanted me gone, so they graduated me. I'll tell this story real quick. I set up my entire senior year to to have the minimum number of classes I could possibly have to still graduate. And the only reason I just didn't quit was because I wanted to play sports. I was wrestling a lot. So my senior year, I had classes in the morning, and I had one class after lunch, and I couldn't get rid of it. And we had open lunch, so you could go home, but I would have to come back for this one stupid class. And I just decided I wasn't going to go back. So, like, it went on for, like, two months. I never went to that class. I just didn't go. I'd go to lunch, I'd go home, and I'd come back for wrestling. And I got called down to the office one day, and, and I'm wondering, you know, what did I do now? So, I get in the office, and he says, you know, you need to explain why you didn't go to that class on Friday. And I said, Friday, I haven't been there in two months. <laughs> Nobody realized it, I guess.
4: <laughs> well, uh, Kevin, when, we didn't skip until we turned 16 and got cars. But today, in the summertime, if I have an appointment and I have to go somewhere to the chiropractor or the dentist, and I, I leave work, I go home, I get on the Harley. Got my 22 miles to the chiropractor and then a 22 miles back to work. That that 44 miles reminds me of skipping class with my buddies and just driving around and cruising. But I'm, it's free. I'm not on work time. I'm on the Harley. It's going along at a nice 40, 50 mile an hour and enjoying my day. But that's what it reminds me of.
3: That's right.
4: Fifty years ago.
2: See, the only difference. You said you started skipping class when you were 16. Well, I was driving to school when I was 14, so that's when I started skipping, which was <laughs> ninth grade, so I didn't see much of high school.
4: Wow. Well, I, we didn't skip that much. I, I bet you it was at probably six days or less total, Oh, I, we didn't skip very much.
2: I, I had six days at least that most months, so... Um. I just, I, I just didn't. I didn't know how to <laughs> bend the rules. <laughs> I just didn't like school. The crazy thing now is I love learning. I, it was only about a year or two after I got out of school I figured out how much I loved learning, but I did everything I could not to learn anything in high school. Once
4: right. I got into the race car industry, and then once I got into the race car industry, and then I got into transportation, dealing with trucks, I really enjoyed learning. Yeah, that was the change for me.
2: Yeah, there you go. We're going to. When get I got to... into
4: the engine business, I were... Go ahead. When I got into the engine business and I started to meet engineers at Cummins, I really became a sponge and I wanted to learn everything I possibly could. Yeah. Which would have had computers back then, and you could have been able to Google everything. But uh,
3: yeah,
4: yeah, it was a it was a complete change from high school.
3: There
2: you go. All right. I could talk all day, but we're going to head off to Florida. Alex, it's your turn. Welcome to the program.
9: Hi, this is Alex. I have two questions. The one I have about the GEF consumption. I have a Cascadia 2018. I drive in Florida. My fuel mileage is nine miles to gallon. And my DEF is 165 miles for one gallon. That's good or that's bad?
1: That's actually a little uh, that's a little heavy for that truck, actually. It should be a little bit less than that. Most of our uh, DD-15s. That's a DD-15, right? Isn't that?
9: So.
1: Oh, DD-13. Oh, DD-13. I'm not so sure what those ought to be, then. Uh, I know the 15s do a little bit better. So usually around 200 miles per gallon we see.
9: 200, okay. So yep. should I do anything or should I go to the dealership and I send the warranty or nothing, just leave do you have
1: any? Do you have any check engine lights at all? Do you see any, Any? is there anything telling you something might be wrong?
9: No, uh, everything's been fine and then one day I have a check engine light and then it's go 55 mile an hour and then a second one came out it's derailed my three mile an hour and then they take me to the dealer and then they say, nothing you do wrong, we just need a software update. And I'm like, so you're going to okay. shut me down in the middle of nowhere? So they update the software and everything works fine right now, so I don't know.
1: Hmm, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it unless it gets much worse. Uh, the DD13 I'm not as familiar with. Uh, I do have one customer who I'm tracking def consumption on with the DD13. I can look it up. Uh, he's on gauges. I could I could look up his def consumption there, maybe... I'll do that. And if I see something that's, uh, you give us a call back next week. If I see it's a whole lot better than yours, then give us another call and we can talk about it.
9: Okay, I appreciate that. And also, okay. I have yeah, a, no comment in a, question, a question about, uh, everybody talk about uh, LED, you know, they think in those regulations will make us sleep better and make us safer. I think it's completely wrong because for me, I run LEDs. I know how to run that thing. I'm good. But for me, if I go to sleep at the truck stop or at a rest area, I'm gonna, they wake me up every two hours. So I can't sleep in it because the, sh- the sleeper doesn't have insulation. It's like a chicken egg. You know, I think if they really want us to go to sleep, they need to create some environment we don't kind of eliminate the noise as much as possible. So there is any kind of technology out there you can spray something or you can do something to eliminate
2: the noise on the sleeper, like a soundproof?
3: Uh, yeah, there is. Uh, it's That's thing.
2: Well, you know, you can soundproof a truck quite a bit more than they are from the factory, but it's a big job. I mean, you're, you're taking the entire interior apart. You can put in some acoustic panels, acoustic foam. I think the easy way, honestly, is is white noise. You know, find there. There's all kinds of you know music and nature sounds and white noise sounds that you put on and really does help. I've I'll be talking about this a lot again tomorrow. I'm doing a ton of research on sleep right now, and white noise or just plain old earplugs. You know, earplugs are a little hard to get used to in the beginning. But you can use earplugs that will block out about 90% of of the noise that makes its way into the truck anyway. So I I wouldn't go the route of trying to soundproof the truck. I would use either white noise or earplugs or both. I'd play around with those. They're cheap and easy. Let's, uh, Let's head off to Alabama. Kevin, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, good. How are I got you?
10: A, I got a, okay, I got a strange thing. I had an ABS problem, and then it was fixed under warranty, supposedly. But now it's kind of strange. It's a right modular that happens. It's SPN 796 FMI 5, and it says it's a modular. But what happens is if I'm going up a hill now, and it's kind of strange that everyone says the water temperature has nothing to do with it. But I watch my gauges. And when the water temperature hits 201, it flashes a rack system failure, and then my ABS from my truck comes on. So where is that modular for the right front? And can I replace it myself?
0: Normally it's bolted right on the frame rail, a lot of times behind the backside. Um, That would be truck make model specific. But if you follow the, the airline back, the brake, you'll actually find where it, it physically goes to that modular device. Uh, okay. And basically, in that case, you could just follow it back. It'd be one airline, maybe two, and then just a connector on or off, and then some bolts bolted to bolt into the frame rail.
10: Yeah, because it's strange. Every time it gets hot, it comes on, and I, if I shut up the truck, cools down a little bit, start it up again, the ABS light goes off.
0: Could be a heat soak issue. What was that? It could be a heat soak issue where it takes time before it heats up and then it becomes a problem.
10: Okay. So just probably replace that module and I'd be okay. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, inspect it. Make sure the connectors
0: on there real tight and it's not just happen to be vibrating loose at that temperature.
10: Oh, okay. Cool. I'm glad I called in today. Thanks.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for the call. There's the music. I'm going to get to a break. We're going to come back right after this and get to more of your calls and questions. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Power Hour. back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're going to get right back to your calls and questions. We are off to Georgia this time. Trent, welcome to the program.
4: Hi, thanks for taking my call. I just bought a 2015 T2 or T680. It's got a Packard MX13 I have never dealt with all the emissions
5: stuff. So I'm wondering um, are there any filters I should look at replacing right now or getting cleaned? Uh, 487,000 miles. The
1: uh, best thing you do with that is, if you could, get it to us for, uh, for the emissions maintenance. Uh, we've got one in the shop we're doing right now. So that's, uh, you know if it's never been done if it's only been done piecemeal anytime there's a problem it's it all needs to be cleaned and checked and uh you know we test all the sensors and clean out all the little passages and 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 the bigger passages and get all the carbon out of it for now uh what year is it 13 you said 15 15 15 okay even better so we're working on the dorothy installation for that now i just got my test truck here last week for that uh I think we're uh, hopefully getting some baseline numbers on the dyno with that here shortly, and then some other work too. But uh, yeah, I'd give it a give it a full maintenance. Uh, if you could get it in here, that would be ideal. Uh, if not, um, yeah, I don't know where to tell you to go. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's, especially if it's a new to you truck, uh, I'd, I'd highly recommend you doing that. Yeah, I'd do of
4: getting in and get you to clean it out and uh, do a dyno and see where i stand with it um i was just wondering if i if i needed to replace the dpf or get
1: it cleaned before i you know, let's, no let's don't replace been. that till it asks for it i, I wouldn't uh yep. yeah wait wait until you uh it'll give you some warning it won't happen catastrophically it'll it'll tell you you'll notice it going into uh regens more frequently and you'll get some warning as to whenever that thing's clogged to the point where it needs to be replaced or cleaned but uh yeah i wouldn't uh i wouldn't i wouldn't freak out about that just yet
9: all right i'll get it to you as soon as possible
1: all right thanks
2: thanks for the call we are heading off to ohio this time peter welcome to the program
5: hey kevin happy new year's guys um I've got a problem with one of your favorite trucks, Kevin. I've got a 2003 Volvo 660 with the N14. Um, just putting it back on the road, um, it's been sitting for about six months, and um, had a couple bugs. Uh, the problem I'm having now is occasionally when you go to take off, even with a light load, it feels like it's down on power, almost like you have, you know, 45,000 in the trailer instead of 10,000. And every once in a while driving down the road, it will pick up. Like you feel it lose power for like a split second and then it will pick back up. Um, now the truck did actually shut off on me um, yesterday and uh, chased it down and it was the, the ECM fuse, the, the power off the battery going to the computer. I replaced that fuse holder and that seems to fix that problem but um still having this other these other issues.
4: What is your total boost under a hard pull and what's the horsepower rating of the engine?
5: Um it's uh 435 I believe is the horsepower rating and I think you know it's just got the the cheap factory gauge It's like I
4: don't know, 25, 28, something like that, pounds of boost. Well, your boost is okay. Ethan, do you think there's a sensor or an ECM issue?
0: Oh, there could be, but you have to plug in to see what's going on there. Um, okay. If it, if it doesn't, yeah, you have to check the codes and see if one's being thrown momentarily and logged in there. Uh, it could be a couple different things. I I check the basics first. I check for air and restriction as well. Uh that, that dragging
1: an anchor feel or that heavy feeling like it's overloaded. Uh, that could, could easily be a restriction in the fuel fuel system or you know, check the basics first if you haven't looked at that stuff. Uh yeah, this I, is I truck is like that. You are so just getting filter. it back into service? Yeah, this yes, could be I, things, I, it could I be other things though. But it could be a fuel line collapsing, it could be any number of things. Uh, so I would uh, I check all that before you get too carried away with electronics just make sure all the basics are good. You got to cover the
0: fundamentals first. Yeah, we saw the one with a filter housing cracked on it. Yep. Yeah.
5: Okay. All right, so check the fuel supply first.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Yep.
5: All right. Um, uh one other quick question uh um, just for general knowledge, this time of year, if you allow your fuel to gel up, um, can that cause any kind of injector damage or anything like that?
4: No. Okay, so I've never okay. seen that, never seen that cause any problems. Okay, just curious. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, hey,
3: hey, when...
4: when Back to what John was saying, you're gonna to have to put a sight glass on there and shine a high intensity flashlight through the sight glass to look for air. But you're gonna need a sight glass. A sight glass is a big brass fitting, and the center part of it's actually glass. And you can watch the fuel flowing through there.
2: Got it. We are on our way over to Georgia this time. Steve, welcome to the program.
11: Hey Kevin, thanks for taking my call. Uh, i sent over you guys a, a oil sample. I kind of want you to take a look at. Um, I, normally, when I take an oil sample, it always come back at a zero. Um, and I know I, I shouldn't be too worried about it, but I just kind of wanted you to go over it and see what if it's if anything that I can do to change it to make it go back down to a zero, or it is what it is.
2: Uh, zero on what? There's a on the the uh, Polaris samples, Bruce. There's a rating scale: zero and one being completely normal; two and three being abnormal, but you usually okay. don't need to do anything. And four is critical, meaning you've got to get the oil out of the engine. So, Steve, you're still at a one. Those are considered completely normal, and there's there's nothing in here that's really any different than a zero. So I, I, I wouldn't do anything. I mean, everything on the sample looks good. Um, now, you know, let me take that back. This isn't what they flagged it at a level one for, but I'm noticing this is climbing. Um, your soot was at 1.8. For a DD15, what year is this?
11: Mm-hmm. uh it's a uh 09 okay
2: for an 09 even that 1.8 isn't all that bad i mean it you might just want to go through some normal really good routine maintenance you know if the overhead hasn't been set in a while you might want to do that um make sure you know intake and mm-hmm. charger coolers all good we don't have you know too much exhaust restriction those kind of things, but it, there's nothing here I would lose any sleep over or spend a whole lot of money on.
11: Okay, I got you, because I noticed um, um, I was least a land start and was pulling their trailer, and whenever I got my authority back in September and um, and brought this old 90, uh, 97 Great Dane, I noticed my uh, fuel mileage dropped, also, and I was thinking it was because of the older and heavier trailer, the reason why why it dropped some. It dropped from like a uh, uh, seven miles to the gallon down to a, a, a six point five miles to the gallon. And 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 I would like I said, I put it off on the trailer, but uh, you know after getting this sample, I was just sort of it, curious about that.
2: There may be something here, Ethan, John, and anything else on an O nine DD fifteen. Um, might account for some fuel mileage drop and higher soot.
1: Has the overhead been done recently?
11: Um, well, I got um, nine hundred and seventy thousand miles on it now, and the last time the overhead was done is uh, six fifty, somewhere longer there.
1: I think it's time. I'd get that done. I've seen those. Uh, I've seen. I've seen a fresh overhead on a DD fifteen perk those right up. So that's, uh, I'd, I'd go right to that. I realize it's only the valves on those. You're not really adjusting the injector travel, but uh, once they get loose and the thing has a little bit more overlap, there's, uh, or a little less, I should say, it just, uh, really wakes them up, it seems. So we've had a couple come in that uh, saw a mileage increase after we've done the overhead on them.
11: Okay. All right. I do appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks
2: for the call. We're going to get to a break. We'll be right back with more stuff. Stick around. I'm Kevin Roth. back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're down to the final segment. We're going to knock out a couple more calls here. We're heading off to Colorado. Mark, welcome to the program.
8: Happy New Year, gentlemen. Uh, quick question, a couple of them actually. Uh,
4: I, I don't hear you all talk about it much at all anymore uh, as far as emissions and EGR bypass and deletions of this that and the other is that something that's just not done anymore
1: or that you all don't do well it it is illegal so it's uh that makes it rough right <laughs> you, you know we we steer against it you know evidently if you've got an old problem truck with a couple of million miles on it then you know this that that that's one case but uh you know, as far as the new stuff goes we really really strongly suggest you not do it uh, and the systems aren't a problem anymore I mean they do require okay. more maintenance than you would have if you didn't have them don't get me wrong but it's uh it's not worth the risk it's not worth getting uh, checked at a spot check it's not worth uh, you know not being able to have your truck worked on while you're out on the road there's there are a lot of a uh, lot of drawbacks to doing it
4: okay and then one other quick question just a general knowledge uh, why are the ECMs mounted to the engine
1: that's a great question i, I think it's <laughs> i think it's kind of crazy myself all the, all the cars and everything i work on the ECMs mounted inside of it and you know the wires I mean heat
4: heat's a killer of electronics
1: and, yeah. and it just no,
4: seems I'll, to me like it should be mounted be. away
1: from the engine if anything, never made much, never made much sense to me either. I don't know. Maybe Ethan knows better. Wow. He's been around them a lot longer than I.
0: Yeah, I, I wanted to <laughs> do that too. My car's in the center console, you know, underneath the shifter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, these all have cooling plates put behind them to try to cool the ECM right. with fuel or coolant or something right. along right. the lines. So again, you wouldn't have to cool it if you kept it in the cab. Right. Yeah, it would be fine. Well. Now,
4: now we'll let the old man tell you why that is. (laughs) (laughs) I guess (laughs) this is where you go back in in. history. This is where you (laughs) go back in history. Back in the days of the Big Cam Cummins, when they first came out, the fuel filter used to be mounted on the frame rail, much easier to change. The OEMs didn't like it because they had to put an extra line from the filter to the fuel pump. And the word went to the engine manufacturers, you mount everything on the engine that you can. We want to make the least amount of hookups. So, if they did that back in the late 70s, early 80s, now, yeah, early 80s, they're still doing it today. And that's why I think the
1: ECM's on the engine. Damn accountants. So, just to make it easier for the manufacturers to not have to deal with it.
4: make it easier, there's less... So less one left wiring harness, and the ECM stays with the engine. This way, look at how many engines are in the salvage yards. The ECMs wouldn't be with them. There would be an engine without an ECM. So that's why I think they're on there, and, and I agree. They should not be on the engine, especially like the d deck 3s and 4s with the weep hole in the front, and you hit them with a pressure washer. You're pushing water right into the ECM, <laughs> uh, and why it was kept that low, but... And vibration. Vibration's hard on electronics, too. Even though they're mounted in rubber, it's still vibrating. I mean, the last
1: couple of years, I've seen a couple of those Detroits where just, a, just an errant nut or bolt got dropped behind it, and the vibrations eventually wore through the back cover and, and,
0: and yep. shorted things out. And then it fills up with, with whatever. Then it fills up with water, too. Yeah. Water, it, fuel. Uh, I've seen one do that, and then the fuel line went. Oh,
1: I think that's good philosophy, Bruce. <laughs> it's, uh, let's put it on the OEMs, because, yeah, so if it's a unit, then all they have to do is put power to it. They have one little adapter harness to make to do whatever for whichever engine, and it's done. Yeah, I was the harness a little longer. I don't see why it's not possible.
4: So because I complained to Cummins Engineering about that fuel filter mounted on the fuel pump. And they said that is why that is on there, because the OEMs want the installation to be as simple as possible. Or the truck manufacturers want the installation of the engine to be as simple as possible.
2: So, so does that mean when I get all these people that tell me, but wait a minute, if that thing you're talking about is so good, the OEMs would have done that a long time ago? Does that mean that's not true? <laughs> that's <laughs> very true. <laughs> I get that one all the time. I, I Kevin, mean, that, yeah.
4: Kevin, I can, I can. You, you know, working, I worked. I spent so many weeks out at the Cummins plant, and we would I became such good friends with so many engineers. And the they always called it the Harvard Bean Counters. Yeah. In, when the uh, higher ups would hire the bean counters, if they could save pennies on an engine by doing something to cut the cost, they would do it and And all the car manufacturers are the same. They look at pennies
2: well if they didn't, there would be no aftermarket. I mean, if the manufacturer actually built every component as good as it could possibly be and as efficient as it could possibly be and produce as much horsepower and all the things people want in a vehicle, if the OEM did that, there would be no aftermarket. But the vehicle, the truck would also cost about $300,000. I agree. I agree. So speaking of the aftermarket, is this ECM mounted to the engine a big enough issue that there's an aftermarket product there?
1: No. No. We actually uh, had a customer who wanted us to remote one, and we looked into what it would take to make a remote harness. It was just, uh, just thinking about it. <laughs> I don't want to tell you why he wanted to do this, but it was kind of absurd. Okay.
2: Yeah, well, I figured you guys had had looked
1: at so, it. At but some it's got point. to do with yeah. So, and it wasn't for that reason. It, it would make sense to have it inside, but the fact of the matter is, as crazy as it is, you know, the failure rate isn't that high with them. I mean, it, they do manage. I mean, you do see, see, crazy. You know, for the millions of trucks that are on the road with the ECM mounted on the engine,
0: I got to give Cat and Cummins you know, credit. The cats are glued together with some sort of like space grade. Uh, Feeling, yeah, those things will
1: survive a nuclear bomb. And in the commons they've got mounted up high, and you know, it doesn't really have that, it's not affected by much weather or anything. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, again, it's one of those things that's good enough, so it's probably not really worth uh, doing something with. Yeah,
2: well, I, I was thinking maybe if maybe if it was worth it, we could pull it off the engine and shield it from an EMP all in one operation.
1: <laughs> That'll work. <laughs>
2: get the uh, aluminum
1: foil hats. That's out. right. That's right. Yeah.
2: So you know, it, it, I, I used to get this all the time. I would talk about a fuel mileage modification, it's something as simple as a fleet air filter. You know, things that we could absolutely prove with physics, with testing, with you know, multiple ways that clearly this improves fuel economy. And even the OEMs have all that testing. The OEMs can show you if you reduce exhaust back pressure by X, fuel economy will increase by X if you improve airflow. I mean, they have all the numbers. And yet people would argue with me oh, no, if that filter worked, the OEMs would all put it on. No, they won't. And they're never going to. And, or some people would say, none of that stuff works. And I'd say, oh, really then? If nothing works to either improve or decrease fuel economy, then every truck on the road should get the exact same fuel economy, right? Wouldn't that make sense? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, if nothing matters, then every truck should just get the same fuel economy.
4: I'll give you another story in regards to that. Back in the 12-valve Dodge days, there were two Cummins engineers that were given the assignment test all of the aftermarket exhaust brakes and tell us which one is the best and they used the personal pickup for the one engineer and they worked for 90 days three months and their finding was the pack brake worked the best on the 12 valve dodge and when it came down to it the bean connor says well but we've been working with jake brake so long on the NTCs and the N14s, we're going to stick with the uh, sponsoring the, or recommending the take brake, exhaust brake for the 12-valve Cummins. So 90 days, two engineers' time was wasted. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Because even when they prove something, they wouldn't do it. And they know all this stuff. I wouldn't do it. The OEMs know this stuff better than all of us. They've done all the testing. They they know what would improve it, but it is the accountants that make the decisions. Not the engineers.
3: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, shame.
2: Yeah. You know the other
4: one was the other the other item was the variable cam for the N T C Cummins would have eliminated the cold start smoke like the four and a quarter b cat would start and then the timing would advance and that was done in front of the pump the big camp cummins they had a gear that would do it but it was going to add three hundred and twenty five dollars to the price of the engine the bean Conners stopped
2: it yeah yeah that's the way it goes but that uh that gives us something to do so we really don't mind there's the music. I am completely out of time. I've got to get out of here. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thanks to the guys at Pittsburgh Power for helping out. We'll see you next time. All right, thanks, everybody. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health.
3: Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.